0: Let's pray for our brothers and sister. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the victory you have given to our brothers and our sister who have gone through um, the training through the nurturing ministry. Thank you because you have given them an opportunity to experience you as they studied your word and as they looked at different topics in Christian living. We pray for them that uh, whatever they have learned is only going to be enriched as they continue on serving you. We also pray that you may bless them and help them to be of blessing to other people who may need the same training. We pray for our other Christian Union members that may need to go through this program, that you may encourage them and help them to join so that we can all learn to enrich ourselves to be better Christians for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you very much. Thank you, Chibet, for uh, introduction. Thank you, Jquart CU, for the invitation. I don't take it for granted that um, I have been asked to come and share in Jquart CU Sunday service. Uh, As she has said, I'm Esther Nyaga and I love the Lord as my personal savior. And I work at Africa International University. Um, Africa International University is a private Christian university. It's based in Karen, actually, a walking distance from the hub Karen. So we get to um, enjoy the blessings of the Lord that side of Kenya. And I welcome you to AIU, especially I hear there are some people who are graduating. Congratulations on persevering and working hard to come to the end of your program. In case uh, some of you would want to train for ministry, you know, we have people who would want to take a degree in theology or biblical studies or mission studies, and they have done another degree in technology or science. We welcome them to AIU so that you can do your master's program. Uh, We regard your first degree. You don't have to take a degree in theology for you to take another master's degree uh, in theology. So I just decided to to mention that for the sake of uh, people who may want to train for ministry. Of course, the university does other things, but uh, I targeted that one for people who want to train for Christian service. And uh, because I hear it's exam week, I wish you all the best as you finalize with your exams and as you go for your long holidays. I did not come alone. I came with uh, my children. So I have uh, Davina. Davina will be the first one to greet. Say hi. Davina is seven years. She's in grade two. Shifra is in form one. Say hi. She's 40. And I have uh, my cousin, um, Lona. Say Hi. Yes, and uh, Hadassah, our firstborn, is still in school. She's closing on Monday. She's in Form 4. So that's uh, my family. My husband is not with us uh, here. Uh, He works in Uganda, and we bless the Lord for that. So I was invited to speak on the topic, humility. And uh, Jake has uh, good memories for me. The last time I spoke uh, on this stage was two years ago on a Sunday service like this. And when we went for the break between the first service and the second service, I got a message that uh, my sister got a baby. So when I came back uh, here today, I said to my sister, the last time I was in Jekwatt, baby Ahadi was born. So I have good memories of See you." And then I was a campus staff, or what you call STEM staff in Jekwatt, year 2000 to year 2001. So I am not a new person in Jekuat. I was working with Focus Kenya at that time. And um, I was telling the first services I had a house in Gashororo. So I know this place very well. And I thank God that the Christian union has remained vibrant. And that 23 years later, I can come and see a vibrant Christian union. What a blessing. So I thank God for this opportunity to come back here and continue serving the Lord Um, among students. So, uh, when I was asked to speak on humility, I wasn't even sure whether anybody knows me in Jaguar CU. So I asked myself, why did they pick me on this very difficult topic? Because um, you don't know whether you're supposed to, um, uh, you know, like uh, express the humility that you are speaking about, or whether you are humble enough, or so. But I thank God for the opportunity because I know it is a fruit of the spirit, and every Christian needs to cultivate humility. And some of the questions I was asking myself as um, I was thinking about uh, this topic is, what is the opposite of humility? Because we are encouraged to cultivate humility. What is the opposite of that? that we should be getting rid of. And then the other question I was asking myself is, can humility and confidence coexist? Can you be humble and confident at the same time? And what is the linkage between confidence and pride? Are they the same? Are they different? And because... um, I will not dwell into so much of those terminologies. Let me just uh, tell you what um, I settled for. That the opposite of humility is actually um, not pride, but arrogance. Arrogance is the opposite of humility, or what you can call self-entitlement. Self-entitlement, or so much of self-centeredness. That is what is a contrast to humility. Arrogance, self-entitlement, or self-centeredness. And uh, self-entitlement is more or like um, someone behaves in a manner to suggest that you owe them something, you know? Like, um, you owe me uh, respect. You owe me honor. You owe me this. It's it's more of... Um, Uh, self-entitlement and arrogance and self-centeredness. Sometimes, confidence could be mistaken with pride, but they are different things. They are not the same things. You can be confident, and at at the same time, you can be humble. And those two traits are actually very good traits of a leader, and especially a Christian leader, that you're humble, but you're also confident. And um, I made reference to uh, Tim Keller. And uh, if you know Tim Keller, he's a respected Bible expositor and a theologian. He passed on in May this year. And uh, the kingdom um, uh, lost a very great person. But one of the things he said about um, humility and confidence is that um, you can be humble, But at the same time, be bold. Okay? And he said, You're humbled because you feel like a sinner. And we know we are on this world, we are being perfected, we are yet to be perfected. You're humble because you're a sinner under God's grace. But then you're confident because your sense of grace is so great. And I think that's something we can do as Christians, humble because we are sinners except by the grace of God. But we are confident that the grace of God is so great, yeah, that uh, we can manage to live faithful lives. And I'll read a scripture from James chapter 5, chapter 4, verse 5. It says, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Okay? James chapter 4 verse 5. So, pride, God opposes. But if you're humble, he gives you grace. And I think that's um, what we need to cultivate. I was encouraged when I looked at your theme, the theme of this semester, which is coming to an end. I'm honored to speak on the last service of of the semester. And I was told that your theme is remaining in him. And it is derived from 1 John chapter 2 verse 28 which says and now dear children continue in him so that when he appears we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming and I think it is a very good thing that uh, the Christian Union leadership uh, chose to focus on remaining in Christ and so that when Christ comes Thank you. Let's clap for our brother. He rescued my vocal cords. All right. So, remaining in Christ so that when he appears, we will not be ashamed. And for us to remain in Christ, we just need to obey him and uh, keep his commands. Um, I would want to read a few verses um, in, the introduction, in the introductory of First um, uh, John chapter 2. Verse 3 of 1 John chapter 2 says, We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Okay? We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says I know him but does not do what he commands is a liar. The truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word... Love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. What a guidance that for you to remain in him and so that when he appears you will not be ashamed, verse 6, you must live as Jesus did. So, our focus today is um, how to live in humility as Jesus did. So, that's what we are going to, to do. All right? But then you ask yourself Jesus was God. Will I be able to make it? I'm weak. I'm human. I'm prone to sin. How do I do like Jesus did? I would just say that our call as Christians is actually to be Christ like. So it is not short of being like Christ. And it is a journey. It is a journey that we keep going, but we cannot give up and say, I cannot make it. It's because um, God is the one who is doing it on our behalf. In the book of John, chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus tells his disciples, I'm, tell- I'm telling you the truth. Those who believe in me will do what I do. Yes, they will do even greater things because I'm going to the Father. So what do you need to do as Jesus did? Believe in him. It looks simplistic. It is not. That's it. Believe in Jesus and you can do what he did, even greater things. And the verse uh, of this context, uh, the, the context of this verse was um, when Jesus was speaking to his disciples in preparation for leaving them. And he was telling them, I'm going to the Father. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. And then um, Philip asked, um, asked Jesus, show us the Father, and that is going to be enough. And Christ was asking Philip, haven't you known me all this time that we've been together? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Okay? And um, it's, it's John 14, verse. Um, I can read now verse 9. Uh, Jesus says, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe, verse 11, believe me when I say that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than this, because I'm going to the Father. So, the reflection that Christ gives us here is, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father, because what you have seen me do, it is the Father working in me. And I would want to reflect the same to us as Christians, that we are reflecting Christ. Whatever we are seen doing should be a reflection of what Christ and the Holy Spirit is doing in us. So that um, when we yield the fruit of humility, it is actually the Holy Spirit bearing that fruit because He dwells in us. It is not our own authority. It is not because we are able or we are perfect or we are so good or we are so capable of being humble no it is because it is the spirit who indwells us that is bearing the fruit of humility so if you look at galatians chapter 5 verse 22 verse 20, uh, and verse 23 we read about the fruit of the holy spirit but the I'll read in the king james uh, no in the good news good news version but the spirit produces love produces the Spirit. But the Spirit produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, humility and self-control. There is no law against such things as this. The fruit of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit produces this Attributes in a Christian's life. The NIV version replaces humility with gentleness. And these attributes, the nine attributes of a Christian life, are inspired by, by the Holy Spirit, but they are manifested in the life of a Christian because the Holy Spirit indwells us. And the usage usage of the word fruit is very important because it is an evidence of the transformation that is ongoing in a Christian. I don't think we are naturally humble people, are we? I don't think we are, but we are able to portray the fruit of the Holy Spirit such as humility because transformation is happening within us. We are able to show love because the Spirit is producing that particular uh, fruit, peace, we become peacemakers, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and humility and self-control. So, it is such a blessing to be used of the Lord to portray the work that is going on among us. And as we do that, we are actually speaking The gospel of Christ. Some people, you could say, uh, when they were in their old nature, they were totally different people. But when they got the new nature, you can be able to see the transformation that is happening in their lives. And what is the contrast of the fruit of the Spirit? It is the acts of sinful nature. In the same chapter... Uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 to 21, the one we read is verse 22. So before those verses, we have a contrast uh, that describes the acts of the sinful nature. And uh, Paul here is trying to uh, warn believers on how to stay away from acts of the sinful nature and instead reflect uh, life by the Spirit. So let me read uh, Galatians chapter 5 verse 13. From verse 13. You my brother, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft. Hatred, discord, jealousy, feats of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. Drunkenness, oh jeez, and the like. And he finishes by saying this, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So here Paul is giving a contrast. If you are not living by the Spirit, this is what you're yielding, the acts of the sinful nature, which is the contrast of walking by the spirit. And the first thing he says there is, uh, brothers and sisters, we, you are called to be free, but not to use your freedom to, inter- to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. Serve one another humbly in love instead of indulging in the flesh using the freedom you have received and what does he mean by this when you become a Christian you are liberated liberated from sin liberated from the law liberated from death you are free you are above the law but what does that mean does it mean that now that you are free you do what you want no no He's saying, instead of doing that, serve one another humbly in love. Don't misuse the freedom that you have received. And I think um, what we have uh, seen recently is um, a lot of uh, emphasis on relativism. And people would say, I do what I want. I believe what is right is what I think is what is right. And, you know, and it becomes even a problem um, to be a Christian because they would label Christians as those people who tell others what to do, okay? And what not to do. And they don't like that. They want to do what they want to do. And they want to say it is right what, is, what they think is right. And Paul is against that. He's saying no your liberty in Christ, your freedom in Christ, is not to make you indulge in the flesh. And um, remember we said the opposite of humility is self-centeredness, self-indulgence, and arrogance. No. Your freedom in Christ is not to indulge in the flesh. Uh, In fact, the flesh and the spirit are in contrast And verse 16, he says, They are in conflict with one another so that you are not to do whatever you want. When you live in the Spirit, you do not do whatever you want. Because you don't control yourself, you let the Spirit of God work in you to produce the fruit that reflects the Spirit. And we have a verse in Matthew chapter 7, verse 16 uh, to 20 that says you shall know them by their fruits. What is coming out of you is a reflection of what kind of tree is bearing this fruit. And um, verse 16 of Matthew 7 says, By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit. But a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear fruit, good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. And uh, we need to check ourselves once in a while and say, what is coming out of me? What fruit is reflecting from me and uh, the book of Galatians calls the fruit of the spirit the fruit not fruits yeah all these nine attributes are called the fruit it is something that uh, is holistic it comes in together you're supposed to have all of them but I know as Christians we are growing in grace in each and every one of these. sometimes we fall short of love Sometimes we fall short of joy and patience. Especially myself, I'm growing in the grace of patience, you know? Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, humility. So when we fall short, how do we deal with it? How do we deal with it? And I would say, you just need to tell yourself, I am growing in the grace of these attributes. Go back to the Lord and ask him, remove what is hindering me from expressing in fullness this fruit so that we can be able to demonstrate Christ-likeness in our lives. We read from First John uh, chapter 2, your theme, that whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. It uses the word must, must live as Jesus did. So we have a role model that we are trying to emulate And by the grace of God, because the Bible says the grace is sufficient, we will do it. So how did Christ model humility? What we are looking at today. One verse, uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. The book of Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple or whoever wants to follow me must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So, if you would want to be Christ's disciple, you deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him. So, self-denial. Remember we said the opposite of humility is self-centeredness. Yeah? Self-entitlement. Here, you deny self, you take up your cross, and follow Christ. That's how you become a disciple of Christ. So, a self centeredness person or someone without humility to deny themselves cannot become a disciple of Christ. So, it becomes very important for us to cultivate uh, humility. And this helps us to focus on the needs of others more than our own needs and we have um, a situation where um, we we want to believe in self-efficacy, my capacity, believe in yourself. I think we even have a lot of um, motivational speakers that talk about believing in yourself, isn't it? And uh, educationists and psychologists, we, we love to talk about self-efficacy. We have a lot of studies that um, Look at correlations of, uh, pro- for example, self-efficacy and uh, teacher's um, teachers' humility and teacher's capacity to teach if you're an educationist. You could have uh, aspects of self-efficacy for psychology and how people believe th- in themselves to be able to achieve their goals. And it is not a bad thing to believe in yourself. The only problem is when you don't get a balance, Okay when you don't get a balance, then you become so focused on what you can do and what you believe is right, then it becomes a problem because then your eyes or your own um, capacity become your standard. And what makes a difference between Christians is that in modeling humility, we have a higher standard who is Christ. And in everything we do, the Bible is our guide. And I would want to make us to make reference to one particular scripture. Um, I know I've I have read many scriptures, but on this one I want us to look at this one properly. Philippians chapter two, uh, verse two to eleven, on how Christ demonstrated humility—a wonderful illustration of um, humility. Okay. And this gives a little bit about uh, um, Christ uh, coming to earth or incarnation. And uh, Paul says, therefore, Philippians 2, 1-11, to therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then... Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one and of one mind. Verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves not looking on your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Would you imagine how it would be like if every day, every time, I'm thinking about the next person rather than about myself? Verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who... Value others more than you value yourself. Don't be guided by selfish ambitions. Look for the interests of others more than the interests of your own. And the incarnation, as we have read, uh, was the ultimate symbol of humility. Because God became man, he came to our level so that he could reach us it says that he did not consider equality with God something to, to be taken advantage of. In fact, um, he embraced humility in its simplest form. He was born in a manger. From the time he, he landed on earth, born in a manger brought up by a carpenter, lived a normal life without taking advantage that he was by nature God. When it came to death, he even died the death of the cross, the most humiliating death, death on a cross. He obeyed the Father, the will of the Father, from beginning to the end. He kept his focus. And on our sins, he did not defend himself at all. Even on the cross, the look of Christ—he had to die because he bore too much sin. He carried all our sin, and yet he did no sin. He did not defend himself. So, how else can we describe the concept of value others more than yourself? If this is not it, that's our ultimate description of humility: valuing others more than yourself. Do we do that? Do we think about downgrading a bit, just a bit, for the sake of reaching that person that need you to reach them at that level? And uh, where, I, uh, where I work is a theological um, uh, institution. Um, our, our main school is the School of Theology. Of course, we have other schools. We have the School of Education, Arts and Social Sciences, where I teach. Then we have the School of Business and Economics. But we have the School of Theology, uh, which is the the school that started that institution. The institution was called NEGIST, or the Nairobi Evangelical Graduate School of Theology. And NEGIST started in 1983 as a postgraduate school of theology. It used to train um, pastors and Christian leaders um, in theology programs since 1983. There was no undergraduate. Actually, when I joined NEXT, I was uh, doing my undergraduate in Egerton University. I, I came to Focus Kenya. That's how I came to JQuart. And actually, my, my trigger for training for ministry came from JQuart. All right? Fresh graduate from Egerton, not much experience. And then you're placed in this campus. At that time, the population of men was a lot. Like the men were like, I don't know, 80%. Then the girls were so few. But just the engagement with the students in J. Quart on matters of faith and the issues they are struggling with and trying to understand what the Bible is saying, how should we live? I told myself, I probably should do something more. And then in year 2000, we had a conference called Commission. I think I have seen adverts today about Ezra. So we have Ezra, which is a discipleship conference, and then we have Commission, which is usually a missions conference. So we had a Commission 2000, and it was uh, in Kenyatta University. And uh, in Commission 2000, I realized I probably need some training for ministry. Not so that I can become a pastor, but so much so that I can have confidence in what I believe in, to be able to communicate that in my context, even in the marketplace. And that's how I joined Negist, all right? So I was uh, coming to NEXT and saying that sometimes when uh, people study in theology and biblical studies, um, we have up to PhD, actually, probably uh, the first institution in Kenya to do PhD in theology, and theology and biblical studies and missions and all those. And sometimes you can get a big head because you have a lot of knowledge on the Bible, on missions, on ministry, in theology, and translating that back to where the rubber meets the road because training for the ministry is not to keep your head bloated and big. It's so that you can be able to simplify the truth of God's word in its simplest form to the person who needs it. So that's a challenge we have where I come from. For Jequat, I don't know how you need to deal with it. Is there a way in which you need to bring yourself to a place where you can reach the people that need you most? Uh, Christ took up our own nature, became one of us, the lowly, so that he could fulfill his mission as God had sent him. So I just ask you to think about areas in which you would want God to deal with you so that you can be able to serve him the best way you can do. How can we reflect humility in our service? And sometimes when we talk about service, you might just think we are talking about Christian union leaders or uh, leaders of different kinds. No, it is every Christian. We are all Christians. Yeah? We are a priesthood of believers, all of us. How can we reflect humility in our service? What we have learned from Christ is he had a mission from the Father. He was focused and he executed it very well. He was very intentional. And uh, if you read the the book of John, he multiple times makes reference to doing the will of the Father. I could make reference to probably... uh, John chapter 5 verse 30, he says, I carry out the will of the one who sent me, not my own will. If you look at uh, John chapter 6 verse 38, he says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. If you look at John chapter 4 verse 34, he says, My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. He had a mission. He was focused. He executed it. He, he was very obedient to the end. In fact, at the time, um, uh, in Gethsemane, he was, he was saying, um, if it is possible, take away this cup from me. you know. But he had to carry the mission to the end. He had to die on the cross. And I think as Christians, our focus should be the mission of God. Serving the interests of God. What is it that God has put me here for? What is my purpose? What would God want me to do? And I think we keep reflecting on that as we keep learning. Uh, I believe that the team that was doing uh, nurturing, you get to learn every time you you go to study God's word. You are looking for things you want to have answers for. You keep asking yourself like that, what's my purpose? What is it that God would want me to do? What's my niche on earth? And uh, like for the students who are graduating, yes, um, besides getting a job, what impact would would God want me to have? So keep thinking about that and ask God to lead you to what he would want you to do as a participant of his mission. But of course we know God's mission in the world is to transform humanity back to himself because we fail. We all sinners. And that's the mission why Christ came to redeem us back to God. And we are called to be commissioners with God, to serve with Him, to transform humanity back to Himself. So, as Christians, we are propagators of the gospel, the tool that brings transformation, preaching Christ and Christ crucified. So, I think uh, as ministers, think about what's my purpose, but also think, what is it that God has endowed me with that can help me to serve him? Sometimes it's good to start there. I talked about Tim Keller. um, And one of my points of reference with Tim Keller is on his uh, interaction on the theology of work, where he talks about how you can integrate calling and gifting and vocation so that you ask yourself, what is my calling? What's my vocation? All right. But you look at, at yourself and say, what are my gifts? What am I attracted to? And then, what are the opportunities available for me? So it's a continuous journey of reflection. So asking yourself, what is it that God has endowed me with? And where would my gifts and endowments be needed? Where are there opportunities for what I possess to be able to serve God in those places? So, look out for opportunities in which you can serve God. It is such an honor to serve. Because service is not slavery. It is an honor. If you think about what happened to Christ, yes, he sacrificed, but what did he receive? Such great honor. The name of Christ is the name above every other name. So as uh, we come to the end, let's look at what's the purpose of humility for Christians. Or how does um, enhancing the attribute of of, uh, humility um, contribute to our Christian living? When we are humble or, when we, exp- or we, when we express the gift of humility, it's not for us to receive a pat on the back. Oh, you're so humble. You're so polite. Not that. Um, or looking out for affirmations and uh, things like that. It is not, uh, it's not for pat on the back. It is actually for your own good, even if you don't receive compliments. Uh, when you serve others is more important than yourself, you get a reward. You are rewarded for that. You gain when you serve others in humility. Because humility enables God's given abilities to be enhanced. I, I read a quote um, from Forbes and I tend to agree with it. It says, Humility is a trait that magnifies all other positive attributes. Without humility all of a leader's other strengths become diminished if not invisible it is that trait that magnifies all your other positive attributes it it is usually a shame to see such a gifted person becoming obsessed with self so proud, so arrogant you even forget what is good about him, isn't it So when you have humility it actually enhances your other strengths. So it is for your own good. The other thing that um, helps us uh, with humility as Christians is when you humble yourself God will lift you up. We read in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus was exalted for his humility. And It says, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In other words, in the entire uh, scope of um, life, heaven earth, under the earth, the name of Christ is the highest name. And so, when you humble yourself, God lifts you up. And we can trust that. In fact, uh, Jesus gave another illustration. He attended um, a meeting with the Pharisees and he observed how people had taken slots or sitting spaces in, uh, in the places of honor. And he challenged them And he told them, when you're invited to a wedding feast, do not sit at the place of honor, rather um, sit at um, at a least important place um, so that when a person who was also invited but is of a higher caliber than you uh, comes after you, you will not be humiliated to to be asked, okay, Uh, stand up, my sister, give space to the senator. Okay, so he challenged them. When you're invited uh, in a wedding feast, do not sit at the place of honor. Uh, Let let me just actually read it. Uh, Luke 14, 7 to 11. It was a parable um, he gave. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host will... The host who invited both of you will come and say, Give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves, will be exalted in other words humility eventually exalts uh, but um, I was telling the first service it should be genuine humility okay don't call for honor alright like now I'm the speaker today and then I go and sit up there so that I can look for the secretary to call me and then you can all see me coming forward what kind of that thing is that it is fake. It is fake humility. It's not humility at all, isn't it? Yeah, but uh, have genuine humility, but in, uh, in genuineness, do not seek to be at the place of honor. Rather, take a lower place because you could get someone more important than you that will have you embarrassed. But that's the example that, uh, that Christ gave. Uh, but we know humility eventually exalts. And um, how do we respond when we fail? Because we'll often fail. And uh, it's not like, uh, in fact, I I ask myself a lot, uh, why did they call me to come and speak on this? And then I was telling the past services, my children are here, sometimes uh, I don't know whether they would say I am a humble person, especially because I reprimand a lot. But how, in case you find yourself not... um, matching up to what you're supposed to be doing, how do you respond? Because we fail many times. We fall into the trap of pride, self-centeredness, and all those things. Uh, We have something we say, you can catch yourself. And this is how it works for me. And you can say, catch yourself, but actually what you're saying is, activate your consciousness. Let the Holy Spirit have your consciousness alive. Because if your conscious is alive, you will surely know when you have not done the right thing, isn't it? You will surely, surely know when you have done the, not, not done the right thing, when your conscious is, um, is activated. So allow yourself to catch yourself, or allow yourself to be sensitive when your consciousness is activated that you have done the wrong thing. Then correct it, correct it but in honesty. You know, there's that uh, verse that uh, we read where don't use your freedom to pursue the uh, urges of the flesh. Don't always do that. You're like, oh, anyway, um, I'll do wrong and then I'll catch myself and then I'll go and ask the Lord to forgive me. That's taking God's grace for granted. But when you find yourself falling, uh, just uh, catch yourself or activate your consciousness go and ask God for forgiveness or correct the mistake that needs to be corrected in honesty. And honesty means you will not repeat that. You don't plan to do that again so that you can repeat the whole process. And and that way you'll be able to um, take care of the gaps that you find. So all the time, ask the Lord to help you grow in grace of the areas where you are inadequate. If it is patience, kindness, goodness, humility, love, you know, ask the Lord to help you grow in grace in those areas so that you can uh, continue to be perfect. And most importantly, we know that living and serving God in humility glorifies God. The last uh, verse we read um, uh, on Christ's exaltation, it says, uh, his name is the highest name on earth, under, uh, under the earth and in heaven. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. The Father. So, even in exaltation, it is for God's glory. Even in your humility, it is for God's glory. Otherwise, if you get a a pat on the back, you have received your reward. It should go beyond um, just uh, humility for the sake of it, it should also go beyond humility for the sake of asking God to bless you. You cannot use humility, you cannot bribe God. Uh, by pretending or uh, being humble. It doesn't work like that. But just know that whatever you do should be for the glory of God because we know you're not your own. If it is in your service and in your ministry, you're doing that because God has enabled you, isn't it? He has given you a gift. He has enabled, he has given you a voice. He has given you life. He has given you good health. You can be able to walk. There's nothing that you have that is yours. It is not your own. It is a God who enables you to do it. And at the end of it all, we know that when Christ comes, you will not be ashamed. And like the servants who are given talents, when the master comes, will he be able to say, Good and faithful servant, you have been faithful with the little that you've been given. You're welcome to my kingdom. I think that should be our target. That in serving God, we, sh- we should seek to glorify him. So that we serve him in humility knowing we are just but stewards. We are just but stewards of what he has entrusted to us. And when he comes back, we should look forward to being given a good and faithful servant by the Lord. You will not be ashamed. So my encouragement is let us... Trust in the Lord. Let us obey him. Let us read his word. Let us seek to follow him. And let us to do all that we can through the help of the Holy Spirit to imitate Christ. And when we fall short, ask the Lord to help you grow in grace in the areas of your shortcoming. And at the end of it, we'll be able to see we are not embarrassed. We are not ashamed because the Lord will acknowledge us as good and faithful servants. The Lord bless you all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to receive your word. And we ask that God, you may help us to obey it and uh, act on it so that we don't just become hearers, but we also become doers. For what you have entrusted on us, oh Lord, we pray that God, you may bring us as faithful stewards to do what you have entrusted us to do. Open doors for us to serve others. Open our eyes to be able to see where our giftings and our and our endowments are needed so that we can serve others more than we think about ourselves. And we know that, God, in humility, you're going to exalt us. And we know that, God, you're going to be glorified in everything that we do. So we ask, God, for your grace, for your enablement. Keep us faithful. Help us, Lord, to be trustworthy. People who can be entrusted with the gifts and endowments you've given unto us for the glory and for the honor of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.